microphone on, try that again. That's a cheery little passage. The, uh, that passage that Josh just read for us is, is one of those that can be kind of scary to read. And here's why. Um, Jesus, is Jesus speaking there, and, and he mentions some things in that passage that I have done, and then he says some really scary stuff about stuff that I've done. In the first verse that Josh read, Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, which is just a, a Christian, anyone who causes another Christian to stumble or sin would be better off having died a horrific death. Have I ever done something that has made it more likely that another Christian has sinned? The answer to that is yes, for me. And then he, he says, if there's stuff in your life that makes sin more likely, you should cut your hand off, or you fill up. I've never amputated anything while I'm all here. Sin, and it kind of can kind of sound like, well, am I still in danger of the fiery hell? I mean, you can, you can read this and, and think, does, does Jesus think I'm like better off dead? Does Jesus want to drown me? <laughs> Is that what I should learn from this passage? So here's what I think the normal reaction is, because this is this is can be scary stuff. You read through the Bible, you get to a passage like this. It's just four verses. And there's lots before it and lots after it. And so you get to this and think, man, that can't mean what I think it means. I, mean, I, I, can't, I, I hope that doesn't mean what I am kind of scared it means. But I can't really explain it. So what I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to solve this. I'm just going to turn the page and keep going. And forget that little four-verse passage ever happened. Well, we shouldn't do that. Because there is, there's a there's some valuable teaching in here. Before I get to it, I want to put your mind at ease a little bit, though. Right, there's a principle. I've mentioned this before. It's been a while to keep in mind when you are reading your Bible. And that is when you come to a difficult passage to understand. You don't let the ones you don't understand uh, force you to doubt the ones that are written very clearly that, 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 that you do understand. And I'll just tell you, this passage was not written, Jesus is not explaining who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Not what this is for. We'll talk about what it is for and what he is talking about later. And there are a lot, a lot of passages in the New Testament that are very clear that tells us who goes to heaven and tells us that for those of us who believe in Jesus, hell is no longer a possibility. Amen? Amen. Here's just a few. John 3.16. God loves us so much, he sends one only son. Why? So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It's a promise. Acts 16, Paul talking to a jailer. 
told him, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Matthew, excuse me, Jesus talked in Mark chapter 3, truly, I say to you, all sins shall be given, be forgiven the sons of men, even whatever blasphemies they utter. You have not sinned the sin that would keep you from being forgiven. Here's one I like so much. I talked, I chewed and talked about it last week too in the same time. Come on, get down your thing. From John 6. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of everyone he has given me. But I will raise them all up at the last day, for this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Elsewhere, John, Jesus' best friend, if he had one best friend, the end of first John said, I wrote the stuff I've been writing to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. So this passage is not about who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. The clear teaching of Scripture is that the people who go to heaven are the ones who, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, who believe he got them there through what he did on the cross. In this passage, Jesus does not refute those clear teachings of Scripture. This isn't about that. What this passage is about about the fact that sin, that stumbling, the things that cause Christians to sort of fall off of what we call the straight and narrow, the, the, the path that leads to life, the path of wisdom, the stuff that trips us up, and that stuff will be continually dangerous to Christians, even to saved, heaven-bound people. That's the main point. Uh, again, as I mentioned, this passage, Jesus talks about little ones, which is just followers, Christians, disciples. Um, and last, last week's sermon talks about why he, he called us little ones. But here's all I know. This is the main, the main idea of this passage is about stumbling blocks, things that would cause you or me to trip, to stumble, to fall, to sin. Because Jesus, five times in four verses, uses a word that at least sometimes gets translated stumbling block or causing someone to stumble. There's a little word play that's easier to see in the Greek than than it is in the English. There's a verb, uh, scandalizo, it's where we get our English word scandal from, and that means to stumble. The way he uses it is to cause someone else to stumble. Verse 6, he who causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, or your Bible might say to sin. It's really not the word for sin, but if someone stumbles in their faith, sin is usually a part of the equation. Um, he says it there, or he uses the noun form, which is the 
food, but the actual thing itself that might cause me to stumble, a scandalon, which is actually the trigger of a trap. If you had a mouse trap and you smear peanut butter on it, the little thing you smear cheese on is like the scandalon, the trigger, the thing of the trap that gets you caught. Yeah. That's what this is about. Things that cause people like us to stumble, to fall away, to sin. Stuff that trips us up and traps us and gets us stuck. Jesus wants to say three major things about stuff that trips up Christians. And that's where we're going today. The first one comes in verse 6. Very easily, very clearly, he says, Don't cause others to stumble. You do not want to be someone who causes Christians to stumble in their faith, on their faith walk. Jesus doesn't want you to be someone who causes another Christian to sin, to stumble, to follow. And he says it in a way that everyone knows. He doesn't like this. Here's the way he says it. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to stumble, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the open sea. Here's the image. This is actually, again, in Greek, it's the millstone of a donkey, is what it says. Uh, a millstone of a donkey was a huge millstone. This was a mill that... Uh, it was so big, you had to tie a, a, a draft animal to it, and it would walk around in a circle to operate the mill. There would be a pole in the middle of it so that the donkey wouldn't just walk over there, and then he had to go in a circle. And Jesus said, you'd be better off if that was shoved around your neck, like your head was put through that hole, and you were tossed overboard, and not even in the shallows either. And he uses the word for the, like the middle of the ocean. Now that's a bad day, right? If that would happen. As this, Jesus often likes to use hyperbole. Exaggeration to prove a point. Is this hyperbole right here? I'm not so sure. In at least one sense, this verse could be literally true. Here's what's not literally true. Jesus doesn't promise that that's what he will do to us if we cause another Christian to sin. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, if you do this, I'm going to drown you. That's, he doesn't say that at all. He just says, you'd be better off if you died a quick death rather than living long enough to cause other Christians to sin and stumble. How could that be literally true? Here's how. The Bible is clearly a gift of eternal life, saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And if we are saved, we will go to heaven for all of eternity. But, as Christians, even though we will never face a judgment to determine if we were good enough to get to heaven, that's, that's over, we will all stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, we will all be judged based on how we lived as Christians, the good things we did for Jesus Christ in his name, for other people, will result in some kind of eternal reward. And when we fail, there will be a loss of eternal reward. We're still going to heaven. For eternity. 
new heavens and new earth for eternity, more accurately. And so here's, in one sense, what Jesus could be saying is something like this. Because you had a judgment coming, before you had a chance to make one of my little ones stumble in his or her faith from an eternal perspective, which is the only perspective that will ultimately matter, from an eternal perspective, you'd be better off if you had died first before you had a chance to make one of my little ones, to cause one of my little ones to stumble and fall. Or before I kept living the kind of life that caused others to stumble, I would have been better off had I just died a long time before. Regardless, Jesus is communicating very clearly, I don't like it. And what you do makes sin or stumbling more likely in people who would be following me. Now what Jesus doesn't tell us is what it looks like to cause others to stumble. He leaves this very general, very open. I just thought of some examples. There's anything I do that would make it more likely that somebody messes up, stumbles in their walk, sins, counts. So here's some things I came up with. If I behave in a way that exasperates someone else, that just makes them angry, they're more likely to sin when they are angry. If I do something that causes anger in them, I'm putting a stumbling block in their path. Living as a hypocrite, okay? Living as in a way where I don't behave like I actually believe what I say on Sunday mornings I believe. That can cause other people to think this is all just a joke or a game. Living in a way where my Christian walk doesn't have any joy in it. Well, I make following Jesus seem like a drag, like God is the giant fun sucker in the sky who keeps people from having a good time. If I communicate that with my life, I would cause other people to sin. If I cause doubts in someone's faith or um, cause fights, if I refuse to pursue peace, if I abuse my freedom that I have in Christ in a way where someone else is tempted to uh, get involved in something at a sinful level, I could be causing a, a stumbling block. If I encourage someone to get involved in something illegal or immoral. Um, here's where I'll take a chance here. I know I'll offend somebody, but I'm okay with that sometimes. Sometimes that's good. I'm no Puritan. I'm not the dress code cops. I would never sit down with someone and, and tell them, you know, you, you sin when you wear an outfit like that. That's, I'll, never, I'll never go there. But what Jesus just said here, if I, and it's hilarious that me dressing somewhere that makes someone sin, except I, but I'll leave that alone, but if the way I dress makes it more likely that someone else sins, does Jesus like it? So it may not be sin if I put that outfit on and leave the house, but why would I want to put that stumbling block in someone else's path if Jesus says, I really don't like it when you do that? This is where I would go to talk about a modest dress. 
This can be, I think, refusing to correct someone when they need correction. Enabling someone can be a stumbling block. There are lots of ways we can do this all day where we can cause, be a stumbling block for someone else. But Jesus pretty clearly says, don't do it, I don't like it. Is that much clearer? Okay. The next thing Jesus wants to teach us about stumbling blocks is just how inevitable they are. Verse 7, Jesus says this, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble, scandalons. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Here's what Jesus is saying here. He's already told us, and he says it again, I will not ignore people who make it more likely that other people sin. I won't ignore that. But then he says this, I also won't stop them from doing it. Jesus, give, Jesus uh, God in the sovereignty, gives people lots and lots of freedom. And people abuse their freedom all the time. Jesus says in this verse, there's going to be stumbling blocks everywhere. I know it, I realize it, and I am not in the business of keeping people from, from doing that. I will hold them accountable later. But there are going to be stumbling blocks out there. You don't want to be the cause of another person's temptation or stumbling, but even if you're not, you're not out of the woods. Because they're going to be everywhere. And that is why he teaches the third lesson in the last two verses today. Because things that tempt us to sin, things that might cause us to stumble, because those things are so plentiful, and because sin is still so serious, and because we are responsible for our own sin, in verses 8 and 9, Jesus teaches us to take drastic measures to as much as possible remove the things from us that might lead to our sin. Here's how he says it. Verses 8 and 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge that booty out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into fiery hell. First, I want you to notice, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I want to make sure you hear the word here. Stumbling blocks, temptations, people doing stuff that gets under your skin, things that make you angry, things that make your sin more likely. They're going to be everywhere all the time. They are inevitable. Jesus just said that. But notice, he does not follow that up by saying something like this. He does not follow that up by saying something like, they're everywhere, there's so much temptation. Those other people, there are so many stumbling blocks in your path that I, I, I know you really couldn't help it. And really, I'm really, really mad at that other person for what they did that made your sin more likely. And I'm just kind of just tiny a little bit of envy. And if he doesn't say anything 
like that. His warmest stumbling blocks are inevitable. And then he says this. That's why you better take drastic measures to keep you from being the one who stumbles. Don't cause someone else to stumble, and this is from the opposite end. Make sure somebody else, you make sure you are not the one who stumbles, whether somebody else put the stumbling block there or not. Jesus does speak metaphorically here. He does not advocate self-mutilation or amputation. Here's how I know. Um, first of all, all of his disciples apparently had all of their appendages by the time they uh, died. But also, with what he says here, he really would not solve the problems. Jesus says, if there's something you look at that makes your sin more likely, take one eye and gouge it out. Would that solve the problem? If you still had one eye, you'd still have a problem. The whole problem. If you, uh, if you have sticky fingers, if you tend to steal things that don't belong to you, if you cut off one hand, like he says here, would that fix your problem? No. So this can't be literally true, which means it has to be a metaphorical understanding. Here's, and here's what it is. These metaphors are symbols. Jesus said if there's, if there's something you do, symbolized by your hands, if there's some place you go, symbolized by your feet. I don't know, I'm showing you my feet like you don't know what feet are. Like, these are feet. That's good. Sorry. I probably didn't need that this morning. If, if there's something you do with your hands, if there's some place you go symbolized by feet, if there's something that you see or dwell on symbolized by your eyes that makes your sin more likely, Jesus says, you might want to consider amputating that from your life. And he uses, he uses a drastic example. Nobody has ever read this and not thought, that sounds a little drastic. <laughs> it's supposed to. Amputation is drastic. If you had to lose, for whatever reason, a hand or a foot or an eye, would your life be different on the other side of that? Yes, it would. There's your point. Jesus says, if there's something that causes something you normally do, someplace you normally go, something you normally see, that makes your sin more likely, I want you to consider cutting that out of your life, even if it would make your life drastically different. The Lord... I couldn't quit going more, stop doing that. Because that's a, that's a big part of who I am. It's like a huge part of my life. Just as I know, kind of like your right hand. It's a pretty important part of your life. Jesus is saying, identify, do some work. This is a good sermon for the first Sunday of the new year. 
2019, do some work, take some stock, take some inventory of your life, identify those areas in your life, those things, that company, the places you go, the things you do, the stuff you look at, which makes your sin more likely, and consider an imputation. What activity makes you consistently angry when you're doing it? But you continue to do it over and over and spend just as much time because in some ways maybe you like the anger. Makes you feel righteous and superior to those idiots who don't think like Because when you are angry, you are more likely to sin. True? Anger is not a sin in and of itself, but there are biblical ways to deal with it. It's supposed to be dealt with quickly. Somebody forgot to turn his phone off. That was me. Sorry about that. Um, What? What? uh, What activity? struggling with lust. What leads to that? It is time for for an amputation. What leads you to neglect what you would say is the most important things in your life? I've talked about this exercise before. Beginning of a new year, maybe it's a good time to do it. Make a list of what you think are the most important things in your life. Then make another list of what you spend all your time doing. How much time do you spend on what you say are the most important things in your life? Then maybe consider this. What are the things that keep me from spending time on what I know are the most important things in my life? And maybe I can perform an amputation that would give me some more time for what I know are the most important things in my life. It is better, Jesus says, it is better to lose something that has long been an integral part of your life than it is to deal with the consequences of repeated sin. And Jesus is not saying you are at risk of going to hell. If you are a follower of mine, if you believed in me, he is not saying at some point you're going to get to a certain number of sins and God is going to say, okay, enough. Now I have had it. You've gone too far. That's not what this is about. But sin is still serious. Just because I'm going to go to heaven after I die, doesn't mean sin is not very serious. There are lots of consequences for sin. Hell is only one of them. And I don't have that consequence. Praise Jesus. But I have every other consequence besides that one that's still a reality in my life. And sin still lets the stuff of hell seep into my life and your life. Sin still causes death, which is always what in the Bible? Death is a, it's a separation. Sin lets death and separation and malice and bitterness and neglect 
and a million other things that grieve the heart of God seep into my life and into my relationships. Just because I love face sin's ultimate consequence doesn't mean it's not dangerous. It is. And Jesus says, whatever you would amputate, if it would keep, it would make you stumble less, I promise it'll be worth it. I'm going to zoom out for just a minute and put these four verses back in their con- uh, context. Because this is, I'm breaking a fairly short conversation into even shorter chunks. <laughs> and I want to show you how this fits in the context a little bit. Last week, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? And Jesus said, Your idea of greatness has nothing to do with mine. And, and, and so Jesus called a little child and had a little kid stand there amongst them and said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn around, stop with this human greatness thing and become like little children, you're not even getting in to the kingdom of heaven. People don't get into heaven unless they embrace childlikeness. And last week, this was the last week's sermon, but what Jesus meant was, if you don't embrace that your status before God is sort of like a little child status on earth, which means completely helpless, can't take care of you, I can't do anything that would get me into heaven, just like a one-year-old can't do what he needs to survive. He'll die if somebody doesn't provide for him. Here's how today's passage still fits with this. This is still what controls this passage. My childlikeness my, I embrace my weakness. That's what gets me to the point where I know I need a Savior because I can't impress God, get morally good enough to be okay with God, right? Well, let me ask you this. When do we stop becoming helplessly dependent upon God to free us from sin? Hmm? When do we graduate when do we mature to the point where, where we no longer need God to free us from sin, to save us from sin? Do we ever get, do we ever get to that point? See, sometimes it's easy to live like that. God took care of my ultimate sin issue, and now I don't need him anymore. No! If I ever get to the point if I ever get to the point where, where we begin saying to ourselves or believing dangerous things like this, oh, I won't get tempted by that anymore. Or I can handle that now. Or I would never commit a sin like that guy. Once we start saying and believing things like that, we're taking a very dangerous step to doing those exact things. We have to remember how childlike we are. Here's, here's the example I thought. There's an outlet over here on the wall. When my children were little, what did I have to teach them about that? I had to teach them how dangerous that was. 
I have to stuck their fingers or the car keys, like one of my classmates did one time. If they start going toward the outlet, I would somehow have to get them away so they knew that's dangerous. Well, how old do we have to get before the electricity is no longer dangerous? I'm old and bald now. Does that mean I can stick my tongue in the outlet? No! I'm still just supposed to be wise enough to, to remember that's dangerous. That'll bite you. Sin is this much the same way. I don't get to the point where it's no longer a problem. I just every day grow in my knowledge of what leads to that problem. What is dangerous for me? Like the amount of stuff I know is dangerous grows, not shrinks. My helplessness and meanness before God. See, there's a dangerous kind of pride that wants to say, see, I don't struggle like that guy. I, I don't have the problems that guy does. I can, it's not like Jesus is saying, follow me enough till you can go it alone. You don't have to worry about this stuff. No! He's saying, kids, pay attention to what causes you to stumble. And put in place which, that which keeps you from stumbling while you remove that which makes your stumbling more likely. Because church, real Christians, the good guys, stumble and fall and sin. The lessons are really simple from today's passage about stumbling blocks. They are everywhere. I'm taking them out of order where they showed up in the passage, but they are everywhere. Don't cause them for someone else and take drastic measures to remove them from your own path. Don't fall into this false pride thing that makes you think it won't be dangerous anymore. Maybe here at the uh, first Sunday of the New Year, this would be a good day to take a little time. We're going to have, we're gonna have communion. We have Stephanie and the musicians go ahead and, and, and come in up and play. And while they're on their way up, I'm just going to ask you to, 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 to bow your head and, and, and close your eyes and, and, and do your work with the Lord. Just with, between you and the Lord, am I going to do anything out loud? Am I going to make everybody come down front or confess anything out loud? But if there's, if there's a way you have continually stumbled in 2018, if there's a way you have caused your spouse, your friends, your kids, your parents, their stumbling is more likely because of a behavior in you. I just invite you to spend some time asking the Lord to reveal that to you this morning. And we'll do that for a few minutes right now.